Well, good evening. The title of tonight's lesson is the Sunday evening sermon. I, I know, I know somebody would see that and they'd go, what in the world? But what makes a good Sunday night sermon? From the standpoint of a preacher, and anybody who preaches on a regular basis knows, Sunday morning and Sunday night are different. And the reason it's different is because you have a different crowd. And I, I want to stop short of saying that you guys are a better bunch. <laughs> but there is something about folks who come back on Sunday night. And I believe, I, I know from my experience over the decades, that I, I always want to have something for the Sunday night crowd that's a little bit different. You don't necessarily need to be motivated. And I know this, to me, this is sounding different. Is that my hearing or is, that, is it actually being different? It's different. Okay. Is it okay? Can you hear? Yeah. That, if you can hear and it's okay, then okay, so far so good. The scary part is when you can say, uh, we can't hear, but it's okay. <laughs> but you guys don't necessarily need to be motivated. You're here. You're motivated, and you don't need to be corrected. You're here on a Sunday night. and If there's anything that needs to be corrected, it's probably something that needs to be talked about privately rather than in a, in a sermon. Correction sermons are almost certainly a Sunday morning thing, and they certainly have their place. When I come back to church not to preach but just to be one of the worshipers I want to hear something that makes me think and so that's typically what I try to do on Sunday nights is have a lesson that gives us an opportunity to think about some things and sometimes things that make me think most of the time things that make me think are the kinds of questions that are somewhat open-ended where you don't really know what the answer is but you know there must be an answer and sometimes it's the seeking out of that answer where you, you get your learning. It's kind of like being in one of those higher math classes where the teacher says, show your work. What's that mean, show your work? I used to hate that because a lot of those problems you could look at and you could go, well, if that's X and this is Y, then here's what Z is going to be. You already know. And... So I just put that down, and no, 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 you got to show your, you got to show, go through the process, and that's, that's how you're supposed to learn math. And what are those things that, what are they called in math class but problems? You're given a problem. Actually, I think that's a bad name for something to give a kid in a math class. Just give him an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. See if you can figure out what the answer to this problem is. So let's talk about faith because the people who come back on Sunday night are people of faith. And I'm not saying that folks on Sunday morning aren't people of faith. I'm just saying that you guys really are faithful. When we talk about faithfulness in the assembly, that's one of the things that comes up immediately. Oh, well, yeah, they're here on Sunday nights as well as Sunday morning and Wednesday night too. Wow. And maybe you've heard that old joke about the it was judgment day and everybody's lined up at the great throne of God. 
And there's a shout of joy that starts up near the throne and it comes all the way back down the great line of people waiting for judgment. And people at the end of the line are going, what's it? What's, what's going on? What's going on? And, and the resounding message comes back, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights don't count. <laughs> well, okay, maybe that wasn't funny for all you guys, but <laughs> when I first heard it, I thought that's funny. I don't think it's true, <laughs> but it's kind of funny. Sometimes people want it to be true. Good, good, good. Well, faith. If you were to be asked to give a definition for faith, what would you say that it is? Is it believing? Believing is an aspect of faith. Remember when James wrote about the demons? What did he say about the demons? You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they tremble. That means they really believe. They don't just believe in my estimation for what James is saying. They know. But what do the demons do about what they believe? What do the demons do about what they know? They don't do anything. And that was what he was talking about. Faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. There's nothing to it. And dead things stink. That's what they do. They decompose. So you being people of faith, I want to encourage you that, that what it is that's brought you back tonight may be even more precious than what you realize. Because I don't believe any of you are here because you feel like you have some kind of a legalistic duty to God. That's not what being here tonight is about. I think you are people who seek God, who want God, who understand that drawing close to him in a worship assembly with his people, among his people, is a very important thing. And to me, that's a reflection of your faith. And I, for one, appreciate that. I've written up what I think is a definition of faith. And you, you, you can tell me what you think of this later. Faith is believing to the point of trust that results in obedient, submissive, action. Now you make of that what you will. But if you have faith that doesn't result in enough trust to do what your faith is telling you to do, compelling you to do, is it really faith? And if it is faith, is it a perfect faith like James was talking about? Because James said that our works perfect our faith. But let's back up even more. Do you remember when you first believed in Jesus Christ? When there was a realization in your mind and in your heart that, all right, this is real. He is real. And I have an obligation to him that I need to fulfill. How many of you can actually remember that moment in time? Any, any of you? Okay, I see some hands going up. I'm one of those who can't really do that because I, I had the horrible experience of growing up in the church. And you know I'm saying that with my tongue in my cheek. But when you grow up in the church, you're taught the things you need to know from a very young age. And I, I would to the Lord God Almighty that every young child could grow up among the Lord's people 
so that they would be able to say, like I say, I don't remember when I started learning about Jesus because I just knew him since before I could even talk. Thanks to my mom. She made sure that happened. So your faith is the one thing that's going to get you to heaven. Nothing else, not your works. I think you all know that. Not your good looks. I'm sorry, Steve. I know, we were talking about that last week, weren't we? (laughs) Not your brains or your accolades or how popular you are or how much people like you. None of that stuff. The only thing that matters is our faith. And you've got that. It's precious. And I don't think any of us are going to know just how precious it is until the last day. Until we take our last breath. And there are the angels of God that Jesus said he sent for Lazarus. And that I believe he will send for each one of us when we take our last breath here. As James said, when the spirit leaves the body. That's when death takes place. And that's the point at which we'll know how valuable our faith is. Or, if we tarry long enough until the Lord returns, when we hear Gabriel's trumpet blow, then we'll know how valuable our faith is. But right now, right now, we're just kind of, okay, I believe in God. I, I go to church. Where was it I said this recently? Was it in class or in a sermon? We don't go to church. We are the church. You are the church. And why are you the church? You are the church because of your faith. And just like in the days of Noah, the only people who survived the flood were those who were in the ark. And the only people who will survive the judgment, spiritually speaking, are those who are in the new ark, the Lord's church. And you are here in the church, not the building, but you're part of God's called out assembly because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you with the fact that that is so precious. In the 16th chapter of of Luke, I'm sorry, in the 16th chapter of Acts where Luke is writing, he tells us about a a young woman named Lydia. And I call her a young woman because I've learned that's a wise thing to refer to every woman as a young woman. You just can't go wrong doing that. This is Acts chapter 16. We'll start at verse 12. We're we're kind of in the middle of Luke writing about all the places they went, navigated to, to get to Philippi. But here we are. Acts chapter 16, verse 12. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day... We went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. By the way, do you hear that personal pronoun, we? That means that Luke was with Paul. On the Sabbath day, we went outside to a gate, outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics. And then what does Luke write about her? A worshiper of God. Now, he doesn't say that she's Jewish because she probably wasn't. 
If, if she was, I'm sure he would say that. Luke would have written a, a Jewish woman who worshiped God, but he didn't say it. He just said a worshiper of God. Almost certainly Lydia is a Gentile. What was she doing? So she was listening. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I don't normally use the word theology much, but it's fitting to say at this juncture that there is a lot of theology right here. Here's a woman who's not Jewish, she's a Gentile, and yet God has never shut the Gentiles out. Remember back in the days of Moses, who did Moses marry but a woman who was a daughter of a priest of Midian, a priest of God? His name was Jethro. Jethro the priest. Before Jethro, we read about another very famous priest named Melchizedek, long before Judaism was even a consideration. And so God had priests in the world. And then when he established the law through Moses, he set up a priesthood from the the loins of Aaron and from the tribe of Levi. And so there were Jewish priests in that right, but there were other priests in the world because God has never left his people out. And here's a woman who is a Gentile, a worshiper of God, And she's listening to what Paul has to say, and the Lord opens her heart. Why was she there? She worshipped. She was a businesswoman. It was the Sabbath, but it wasn't Jerusalem. What city are they in? They're in Philippi. So she could have gone about her business doing the things that a businesswoman might have done to make some money, but she didn't. She sought out a place of prayer. And that's where... Paul and Luke, his entourage, that's where they found her. And they sat down and talked to her. And as she was listening, the Lord opened her heart. And here's another one of those places where I just want one more verse. What, What was that all about? Because I don't know about you, but I want God to open my heart. Well, good evening. The title of tonight's lesson is the Sunday Evening Sermon. I I know, I know somebody would see that and they'd go, what in the world? But what makes a good Sunday night sermon? From the standpoint of a preacher, and anybody who preaches on a regular basis knows Sunday morning and Sunday night are different. And the reason it's different is because you have a different crowd. And I, I want to stop short of saying that you guys are a better bunch. <laughs> but there is something about folks who come back on Sunday night. And I believe, I, I know from my experience over the decades, that I, I always want to have something for the Sunday night crowd that's a little bit different. You don't necessarily need to be motivated. And I know this, to me, this is sounding different. Is that my hearing or is, that, is it actually being different? It's different. Okay. Is it okay? Can you hear? Yeah. That, if you can hear and it's okay, then okay, so far so good. The scary part is when you can say, yeah, we can't hear, but it's okay. That's, <laughs> But you guys don't necessarily need to be motivated. You're here. You're motivated, and you don't need to be corrected. 
you're here on a Sunday night. And if there's anything that needs to be corrected, it's probably something that needs to be talked about privately rather than in a, in a sermon. Correction sermons are almost certainly a Sunday morning thing, and they certainly have their place. When I come back to church not to preach, but just to be one of the worshipers, I want to hear something that makes me think. And so that's typically what I try to do on Sunday nights, is have a lesson that gives us an opportunity to think about some things. And sometimes things that make me think, most of the time things that make me think, are the kinds of questions that are somewhat open-ended, where you don't really know what the answer is, but you know there must be an answer. And sometimes it's the seeking out of that answer where you, you get your learning. It's kind of like being in one of those higher math classes where the teacher says, show your work. What's that mean, show your work? I used to hate that because a lot of those problems you could look at and you could go, well, if that's X and this is Y, then here's what Z is going to be. You already know. And so I just put that down. And then, no, 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 you got to show your work. You got to go through the process. And that's that's how you're supposed to learn math. And what are those things that, what are they called in math class but problems? You're given a problem. Actually, I think that's a bad name for something to give a kid in a math class. Just give him an opportunity. Here's an opportunity. See if you can figure out what the answer to this problem is. So... Let's talk about faith, because the people who come back on Sunday night are people of faith. And I'm not saying that folks on Sunday morning aren't people of faith. I'm just saying that you guys really are faithful. When we talk about faithfulness in the assembly, that's one of the things that comes up immediately. Oh, well, yeah, they're here on Sunday nights as well as Sunday morning and Wednesday night, too. Wow. And maybe you've heard that old joke about the it was judgment day and everybody's lined up at the great throne of God. And there's a shout of joy that starts up near the throne and it comes all the way back down the great line of people waiting for judgment. People at the end of the line are going, what's it? What's what's going on? What's going on? And and the resounding message comes back, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights don't count. (laughs) Okay, maybe that wasn't funny for all you guys, but (laughs) when I first heard it, I thought that's funny. I don't think it's true, (laughs) but it's kind of funny. Sometimes people want it to be true. Good, good, good. Well, faith. If you were to be asked to give a definition for faith, what would you say that it is? Is it believing? Believing is an aspect of faith. Remember when James wrote about the demons? What did he say about the demons? You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe And they tremble. That means they really believe. They don't just believe in my estimation for what James is saying. They know. But what do the demons do about what they believe? What do the demons do about what they know? They don't do anything. And that was what he was talking about. Faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead. There's nothing to it. And dead things stink. That's what they do. They decompose. So... You being people of faith, I want to encourage you that that what it is that's brought you back tonight may be even more precious than what you realize. Because 
I don't believe any of you are here because you feel like you have some kind of a legalistic duty to God. That's not what being here tonight is about. I think you are people who seek God, who want God, who understand that drawing close to him in a worship assembly with his people, among his people, is a very important thing. And to me, that's a reflection of your faith. And I, for one, appreciate that. I've written up what I think is a definition of faith, and you, you, you can tell me what you think of this later. Faith is believing to the point of trust that results in obedient, submissive action. Now you make of that what you will. But if you have faith that doesn't result in enough trust to do what your faith is telling you to do, compelling you to do, is it really faith? And if it is faith, is it a perfect faith like James was talking about? Because James said that our works perfect our faith. But let's back up even more. Do you remember when you first believed in Jesus Christ? Where there was a realization in your mind and in your heart that, all right, this is real. He is real. And I have an obligation to him that I need to fulfill. How many of you can actually remember that moment in time? Any, any of you? Okay, I see some hands going up. I'm one of those who can't really do that because I, I had the horrible experience of growing up in the church. And you know I'm saying that with my tongue in my cheek. But when you grow up in the church, you're taught the things you need to know from a very young age. And I, I would to the Lord God Almighty that every young child could grow up among the Lord's people so that they would be able to say, like I say, I don't remember when I started learning about Jesus because I just knew him since before I could even talk. Thanks to my mom. She made sure that happened. So your faith is the one thing that's going to get you to heaven. Nothing else, not your works. I think you all know that. Not your good looks. I'm sorry, Steve. I know, we were talking about that last week, weren't we? <laughs> Not your brains or your accolades or how popular you are or how much people like you. None of that stuff. The only thing that matters is our faith. And you've got that. It's precious. And I don't think any of us are going to know just how precious it is until the last day. Until we take our last breath and there are the angels of God that Jesus said he sent for Lazarus and that I believe he will send for each one of us when we take our last breath here. As James said, when the spirit leaves the body, that's when death takes place. And that's the point at which we'll know how valuable our faith is. Or if we tarry long enough until the Lord returns... When we hear Gabriel's trumpet blow, then we'll know how valuable our faith is. But right now, right now, we're just kind of, okay, I believe in God. I, I go to church. 
Where was it I said this recently? Was it in class or in a sermon? We don't go to church. We are the church. You are the church. And why are you the church? You are the church because of your faith. And just like in the days of Noah, the only people who survived the flood were those who were in the ark. And the only people who will survive the judgment, spiritually speaking, are those who are in the new ark, the Lord's church. And you are here in the church, not the building, but you're part of God's called out assembly because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you with the fact that that is so precious. In the 16th chapter of, of Luke, I'm sorry, in the 15th, 16th chapter of Acts where Luke is writing, he tells us about a, a young woman named Lydia. And I call her a young woman because <clears throat> I've learned that's a wise thing to refer to every woman as a young woman. <laughs> you just can't go wrong doing that. This is Acts chapter 16. We'll start at verse 12. We're, we're kind of in the middle of Luke writing about all the places they went, navigated to, to get to Philippi. But here we are. Acts chapter 16, verse 12. From there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. By the way, do you hear that personal pronoun, we? That means that Luke was with Paul. On the Sabbath day, we went outside to a gate outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics. And then what does Luke write about her? A worshiper of God. Now he doesn't say that she's Jewish because she probably wasn't. If, if she was, I'm sure he would say that. Luke would have written a, a Jewish woman who worshipped God, but he didn't say it. He just said a worshiper of God. Almost certainly Lydia is a Gentile. What was she doing? So she was listening. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I don't normally use the word theology much, but it's fitting to say at this juncture that there is a lot of theology right here. Here's a woman who's not Jewish, she's a Gentile, and yet God has never shut the Gentiles out. Remember back in the days of Moses, who did Moses marry but a woman who was a daughter of a priest of Midian, a priest of God? His name was Jethro. Jethro the priest. Before Jethro, we read about another very famous priest named Melchizedek, long before Judaism was even a consideration. And so God had priests in the world. And then when he established the law through Moses, he set up a priesthood from the, the loins of Aaron and from the tribe of Levi. And so there were Jewish priests in that right, but there were other priests in the world because God has never left his people out. And here's a woman who is a Gentile, a worshiper of God, and she's listening to what Paul has to say, and the Lord opens her heart. Why was she there? She worshipped. She was a businesswoman. It was the Sabbath, 
But it wasn't Jerusalem. What city are they in? They're in Philippi. So she could have gone about her business doing the things that a businesswoman might have done to make some money, but she didn't. She sought out a place of prayer. And that's where Paul and Luke, his entourage, that's where they found her. And they sat down and talked to her. And as she was listening, the Lord opened her heart. And here's another one of those places where I just want one more verse. What, What was that all about? Because I don't know about you, but I want God to open my heart. She was a worshiper. And she was listening to one who was speaking the words of God. That tells me something. I think it tells you something. If we continue to worship God, I think God will continue to open our hearts when we listen to what's being said. Because opening your heart is not just something that happens once. Opening your heart can happen so many times in your life. When we assemble to worship the Lord, when you're driving down the highway and and you do what David talked about in the 